All right. Well, we are, uh, we are continuing through our series called Summer of Psalms this morning. And right in the middle of the Bible, there's this, this sweeping, the Bible is this, this sweeping story of, of God's work in, through, and, and for people. And right in the middle of it, there is this, this massive book of poetry, what the, the mid-20th century theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes as the songbook of the Bible. Uh, the beauty of the Psalms is that they serve this powerful function in that they create this link between humanity and divine through the agent of human emotion and experience. So what we are doing this summer is we're just taking uh, one psalm a week and we're just diving in. We are immersing ourselves in metaphor and simile and poetry. And as we do, we are exploring the full range of human emotion that works to, to tune our hearts to the things of God. Because every feeling, every emotion Every drive, that, every intuitive response can lead us to God if, if we choose to process this complex emotive system, a system created by God, by the way, through his word and through his nature and his, his purposes. Now, I showed you this last year, but I, I think it's a good reminder just to see just how the Psalms work to offer us a different perspective, a, a different framework for seeing the world before us. So here's a, here's a composite photo of the night sky taken by the, the Hubble Space Telescope. It's, it's full of all this incredible detail. I mean, there are millions and millions of stars and solar systems. Now, here is, is another image of the night sky, and this one was... Uh, not taken by the Hubble Space Telescope, but it was painted by Vincent van Gogh. And again, incredible detail here. Just these swirling clouds and these glowing orbs of light and these, these tiny geometric buildings. I mean, it's just incredible. So now here's a picture of both of them side by side. Let's take a look at, at both of these. Now, here's the question for you, but which one of these is the actual night sky? In fact, neither of them are. I mean, both of these are just these representations of the actual night sky. The one on the left, this Hubble telescope photo, this is a composite image of several digital images that have been pieced together and colorized and filtered. But if you were to go outside tonight, is this the night sky you actually see? No, I mean, at most, this is a scientist's best interpretation of what you might see. Now, what, over, what about on the right? What about Van Gogh's painting? Now, it's obviously, it's not the most realistic representation, but it's probably a bit closer to what we see from our perspective here on the Earth. And it evokes enough of a sense of similar wonder and awe and, and comfort that we can look at a painting like this, and we know exactly what's going on, even though it's abstract. And now, I show you this because I, each one of these images is a representation of the universe. They're just portrayed through different media for different purposes and with different effects on us, the viewers. So let's look at the Psalms in the same way. 
Now, just like the other accounts in the Bible, it's still God's word. It still reveals the heart of God and the, the character of God and the works of God. It still communicates the order and state of creation and nature of, of human beings and how we all fit. But it does so by stirring something within us, by, by painting pictures within our minds, and by inviting us to enter a different kind of world and dive deeper into the human experience to be immersed in the beauty and power and love of the creator God of the universe. So let's pray, and then we will, we will dig into our time together. Father, we just ask that today you would help us to, to see that, that, that in your word you would paint a picture for our minds that leads us into a deeper relationship with you, that leads us to trusting you, would you just provoke new, uh, deeper, and more challenging areas of our soul that have yet been untapped? Those that, that hit on our emotions, those that hit on our, our responses and our triggers to life's, life's things and life's challenges in this world. Help us, God, to see the beauty in the Psalms and how they are indeed windows to, the, to our souls, but they are also this songbook of, of, of wonder and beauty that allows us to sing and to pray and to lift up your name because you are so worthy. And so, Father, we just ask that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we are uh, visiting Psalm 46. Now, this is actually the first psalm we've explored this summer that is not written by King David. It's actually written by uh, the sons of Korah. Now, the Korahites, they're one of these, these five major families of the Levitical priesthood. Korah being the, the great-grandson of Levi, one of the sons of Jacob, the, the patriarch of the nation of Israel. And when the nation of Israel was established, it was broken up into these 12 tribes named after 10 sons of Jacob and two sons of Joseph. And one of the sons, Levi, he didn't get any land to call his own. Instead, his tribe was spread throughout the nation, filling the role of priest for the whole people. And so the sons of Korah were descendants of that priest tribe. Now, that's the long story, just to say that the Korahites were basically just worship leaders for Israel, and this is one of their songs. Also, just for your information, Korah is Hebrew for bald head or baldy, so I'm probably just a few years away from joining this group. Psalm 46, Psalm 46, back to the psalm. Uh, so it's giving us this metaphor of Yahweh, and it's calling him a refuge. And the picture that's being painted here is, is that of, of these humans who are trying to make sense of the presence of God. And by the presence of God, I'm referring to this sense that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the most powerful, most good, most loving being that there is, ever was, ever will be, somehow occupies the same space that I do. Somehow dwells in, in my midst. 
And so then what does happen when that presence invades my space and draws near to me and surrounds me and holds me and confronts everything around and about me that threatens everything that I have been created for? What is this presence of God and why is it so important to who I am? Do I need the presence of God in my life? Or is knowing about him good enough? Having a knowledge of him good enough? How does that change the way that I live and operate and function and plan and hope and dream? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Psalm 46. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back that we'd love to put in your hands uh, to to use. If you don't have a Bible at all, you're welcome to take one of those home. It's it's yours to keep. It's our gift to you. Uh, It will also be up here on the screen. And uh, if if you're a techie, I'm sure you have one of these. So, one way or another, you're reading the word of the Lord with me. Ready? Okay. Psalm 46. So let's hit the first three verses, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on from there. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas though its water roars and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil. Selah. So Psalm 46 can be divided into into three parts, and and each of these parts is marked at the end of each section by this Hebrew word, Selah. And and in in all full disclosure, nobody knows how to translate this word. Nobody actually knows what this word really means. Um, but some uh, have taken it to understand to mean either pause or rest or even rise, like such as a, a call to worship. Now, for the extent of our psalm today, I would like you to insert the word rest in your mind when you see that word, Selah. And I'll explain why in just a moment. Uh, Each of these sections is going to to describe a different element of of times of trouble. uh, The psalmist starts at the beginning and says, God is our refuge and strength, uh, a present help in times of trouble. And so what we're going to find is that each of three of these sections is going to be describing a different kind of trouble. Some kind of, of danger or threat that, that originates from a different agent of chaos, as it were. And, and despite these, these chaos agents and their intent to destroy, what the psalmist is saying is that if you are a faithful one, if you are one that believes in this God, trusts in this God, hopes in this God, and invites the presence of God to take space with you, then you can be comforted and assured because God's presence will create a safe space free of danger. And and, and that is what a refuge really is. It's It's a safe space. A space free from drama and chaos, free from hurt and pain and threats and danger, free from struggle, free from overthinking and anxiety and Worry, a safe space. 
Now, each one of us, that's going to look a little bit different to what, like if I were to ask you to picture a safe space in your mind, most of us would kind of have just a, a slightly different image, a representation of what that might look like. So just, just imagine what that looked like for you. For me, uh, when, I, when I think back a, a, of, of what refuge might look like, um, there is this cabin uh, up in the mountains that someone used to let us use a few times uh, uh, every year early on in our marriage. And, and so every once in a while when things just got way too hectic and crazy and chaos and, and just, just, it was just bearing down on us, we would just pack up and leave everything behind and we would just go up to this, this cabin in, in the, the mountains for a, a few days. And all, what we would find is that all the stress of our life and the busyness of everything would just, that stayed at home. And, and it didn't follow us in to this, this cabin. And, and so we would go and we would hide out and turn off everything. We would turn off phones and clocks and schedules and expectations. And we would just breathe for a while. And I don't know what allowed us to do it there as opposed to other places. But... but what we just found was that this quiet, like slightly secluded, just removed cabin gave us the chance to truly rest. And, and that's what I think of when I think of the word refuge. Now, it might be different for you, but, but it's, when we think about that word, it's, it's more than just a retreat from bad stuff. It, in fact, it's not retreating at all. It's protection, it's care, it's freedom, it's shelter. It is a safe space for you to dwell and grow and thrive and find life. And, and all of us either have this safe space, whether, whether that might not be a, an actual house, it might be a person, it might be uh, an actual place, it might be a hobby, and, and some of these refuges that we, we take are admittedly safer than others, right? Not all safe spaces are truly safe spaces, even if we have brought them up to be that way in our minds. Um, and if we don't have one, we're, we're searching for it, grasping for it, and aching for it. Because this desire to be safe, I think, is innate within each one of us. No one, no one desires to be put in a dangerous situation. We want to be put in the safe place. Now, what God is offering to you, what he is holding out and saying, this is for you to take, is his presence, his nearness to you, his willingness to be with you and for you and on your side. He's offering you a refuge. Now, like I said before, there are three types of, of dangers, times of trouble that the psalmist mentions. And, and before I, I go any further, I think it's worth mentioning that, that no one is immune to these dangers. No one is. There, are, there will be seasons in your life where we can either claim invincibility, most likely that's when you were a teenager, Every time, every time I talk to a teenager and I say, are you sure that's safe? They're like, oh, it'll be fine. No, it's not. You have no idea what you're talking about. No, it's fine. Uh, invincibility 
is something that, that sometimes stirs within us, this idea that, that we were, are untouchable sometimes by danger. Or if not that, then it's fully on the other side. We just succumb wholly and completely to the danger that's in front of us, and we just live this life in just twisted anxiety, like this curled up ball of twisted anxiety and, and fear. And, and it's typically one or the other, because the tendency among many people is to either ignore the threats to our humanity or to fixate on it in an unhealthy way. And that's not what the psalmist does. The healthy emotional process that the psalmist prescribes for us is, is to acknowledge the danger, to understand the threat, but to trust more in the power of a God who created all things, including the threats to your being, and to find your safety and your security in him. So that's the process that we're walking through. So the first danger that we're going to find in, in verses 1 through 3 is that of the natural world. The natural world. The earth trembles. The mountains topple into the depths of the sea. The waters roar and foam. The mountains quake with its turmoil. And, and when you're reading this with this poetic language, the imagery almost personifies creation. And it's not about, it's no longer about just earthquakes and eddies and rapids. It's about shuddering and trembling and raging and roaring. The beauty of, of creation here is contrasted by this dangerous power that this same creation is capable of. Fire is beautiful and helpful and it's a great tool. But when it spreads through forests and homes and cities, it is a dangerous beauty. Water can communicate like this deep strength and refreshment, but if you're caught in the undertow or smashed by huge waves or confronted with a hurricane, well, water communicates something much more harrowing. There is this, this deep violence that is built into the rhythms of nature. And that violence makes it clear that we are not invincible. That we are not the chief determiners of our safety. And for every provision, every precaution, every safety measure, every human defense, one, one, just a simple thunderstorm or an earthquake just reminds us of how small we are, just how fragile life is, just how frail the human existence is. We are not invincible, if we're honest with ourselves. The violence and threat of the natural world is, is an inescapable fact. And, and it's not just large natural disasters. There are very small personal natural. What about disease? What about cancer? Cancer is not another human promoting violence against you. Cancer is a, is a virus, a disease that, that promotes violence against your own body. What about sickness? What about injury? There are, there are natural elements in this world that 
push against our safety and security to remind us that we are not always as in control of our lives as we think we are. And so as comforting as as you might find maybe the arms of another human in the midst of a natural catastrophe, Psalm 46 gives us this, this statement on a macro level that you are not the master of your own fate. That you cannot determine the direction of the wind or the seasons or the force of the river or the heat of the flame on a macro level. You cannot save yourself. So this refuge, this safe space that God's presence offers you, it's not only desirable, it is needed. Now, in each section that we're going to cover today, there is an action step for us in response to the violence and danger that we face in our world. So, What is it that you can do when these dangers confront our well-being and our sense of security, our family and friends, and our futures? And it's a fairly well-documented idea that when we come into contact with times of trouble, there are generally two different options. You can fight back. You can arm yourself. You can stand in the face of danger and fling yourself forward. That's the brave one. It's also really stupid when you're confronted with a hurricane, right? It doesn't work, okay? Don't run at a hurricane. Um, I feel like that one's obvious. Um, You can flee. You can run away. You can desert your post and, and disappear. That's another option. And I would say if you're physically confronted with a hurricane, please run in the opposite direction. Um... Common sense on that one. Uh, but, and, and fear and worry and despair and anxiety will naturally trigger these sort of responses. But there's a third option that the psalmist gives us. If you follow Jesus, there's another way. So what is the, res- what is the active response that we are supposed to take when confronted with times of trouble? Rest. The action step is to rest. Now, I know that that seems like an odd action step because there's not a whole lot of action to it. But what we are called to do is to say law, rest. Rest in the fact that you are not God. That you on your own do not have any authority over the powers of the earth, but you know someone who does. And there is nothing that these powers can do to separate you from him. Nothing they can do to shake you or shatter you or destroy you. So to rest, what we ask is when you rest, that you simply remain connected to the life giver. That you find your identity in the spirit giver. That you find your peace in his strength. And I know everything out there, every advertisement, every show, every book says that you are the action that this world needs. You are the movement. You are the way to safety and and prosperity and justice and hope. 
But the Bible makes it fairly clear, you're not. God is. So there's only one action step left, and that's to rest in him. Okay, verse 4. There is a river. Its streams delight the city of God. The holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Nations rage. Kingdoms topple. The earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. All right, so from here, the, 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 the psalmist goes from this macro level, universal natural violence, down to violence between nations, the threat of one people against another. These roaring and foaming waters in verse 3, uh, God transforms them into this river with these flowing streams that nurture and saturate the city of God where El Elyon, the, the Most High, dwells. And these, this chaotic, untamed wilderness has, has become this cultivated garden, and the garden has become a civilized city. God's presence takes chaos and produces order. And in fact, anytime that you find God's presence in the Bible, what you find is peace and security and everything makes sense. And when there's an absence of the presence of God, when, when the psalmist or the prophets or somebody else cries out and says, God, where are you? What's usually going on? Chaos and anxiety and trouble and discord and injustice. So for the nation of Israel, and especially this royal city of Jerusalem, there was this deep sense of, of safety and security because Yahweh had promised to be with them and to bless them and protect them and to prosper them. Check out what Moses says in the, he tells the nation of Israel as they're preparing to enter the promised land. Way, way back in Deuteronomy 28, he says, Now, if you faithfully obey Yahweh your God and you are careful to follow all his commands I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will put you far above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come and overtake you because you obey the Lord your God. And, and, and he goes on to talk about how you'll be blessed when you come into your house. You'll be blessed when you go out of your house. You'll be blessed when you put on clothes. You'll be blessed when you take off your clothes or when you spend money or when you eat food. You're just going to be Blessed. And it says nations and armies will come up against you and they will all just fall before you. And it says uh, nations around will come to get loans from you. But you'll never have to take loans from them. You're going to be generous because you're going to have all the wealth. He says every, if you will obey my commands, if you will listen and hear my voice and follow me, man, you guys are going to be you guys are going to have this, this blessing that, that just overtakes the rest of the world. Uh, after that, though, if you, if, you, um, if you go and read De Deuteronomy 28 this week, which I actually really highly recommend, uh, you'll also see this other part. He says, now, if it 
doesn't work out this way. If you do not follow, guess what's going to happen? You'll be cursed when you go out. You'll be cursed when you come in. You'll be cursed when you put on your clothes. You'll be cursed when you try to eat food. Like, everything that you try to do is going to fail and fall apart and just be a mess. And so, and then what Moses says is that, now guess what? Inevitably, you're going to fail. <laughs> and curses is going to happen. Just know that God's always there to pick you up. And there will be blessing again. Um, so go, I would definitely recommend read Deuteronomy 28 for the full story. But the idea that, that, that we take away from this, or what at least Israel would take away from this, is that the, the presence of God, when it has come near, when it invades the space that you are, it is a safe space. Order out of chaos. Peace in the midst of harm. Beauty in the midst of darkness. For anybody who would come and dwell there with him. Now the psalmist goes on to say how there are these other nations that may come and, and make noise, it says, or, or cause distress. It's, it's another time of trouble, right? But God says, I'm here. I am present with you. And when he is present, there is no need to fear. When darkness turns to day, that's what it's, it's pointing out in the Hebrew, um, God's help will come. And for us, we might go, okay, so darkness turns to day, daybreak. I, I get it, morning, okay? There's, there's help in that. For us, we're not coming in with the same perspective that an Israelite would have. And so to get into that mindset of how powerful a statement this truly is, we're going to have to do just a little bit of digging. So when an Israelite would hear just these simple words, When the morning dawns, when the day turns, they would hear just those words and they would immediately go back to Exodus 14. Exodus 14. And what's going on there is, is at this time in the life of the Israelite, they are, like years and years ago, Israel was this great people. They weren't an official nation. They didn't have their own space, but they were a massive family. And at the time, they were enslaved and oppressed by this, this massive um, uh, empire of Egypt. And so they were conscripted to work and build and serve other people. And, and so they cry out in the midst of their suffering. And their God, Yahweh, leads them out from the city. He shows, he shows everybody who he is, and he, he takes them out. And, and, and then this, this miracle happens in Exodus 14. They are running from, from the Egyptians, and the soldiers are, are coming behind them to try and take them down. And their leader, Moses, he stretches out his staff, and the great sea that is in front of them just divides in two and allows this massive nation to just cross right over onto dry land. And they cross over all during the night. And so they, they pass by and they look behind them and, and Egypt is running through. They are like chariots and horses and whatever they've got are just plowing through the middle of this sea, running and chasing after Israel. And Israel just is terrified by this. But I want to pick up the story. I'm just going to read it to you because, man, it, it just it blows my mind. Um, here we go. 
So they are, they are running after them, and Moses says, don't be afraid, stand firm, and see, stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Yahweh will fight for you, and you must be quiet. Man, keep thinking about that. All right. So, so Moses stretches out his hands, and the Egyptians are in pursuit. And, and as they are going, it says, um, the Lord, Yahweh, looked down at the Egyptian forces from a pillar of fire and cloud and threw the Egyptian forces into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because Yahweh is fighting for them against Egypt. Then Yahweh said to Moses, and this is crazy, stretch out your hand over the sea so the water may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when morning turns at daybreak, the sea returned to its normal depth. While the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The water came back and covered the chariots and horsemen, plus the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. Not even one of them survived. So if you're, if you're an Israelite, and you're hearing a psalm like this, and you're thinking about times of trouble. You're not, you're not thinking about the argument that I had with my wife the other day. You're not thinking about, you're not thinking about my, my, my rough financial situation that you're in the midst of. You're not thinking about the, um, the, the, the coworker that's being a real jerk to you. You're not thinking about those things. You're thinking about the, the entire Egyptian army that is coming to destroy you and rip you limb from limb. And when morning turns from darkness to day, suddenly they are obliterated. That Egyptian army you see is no, you will never see them again because Yahweh is fighting for you. Yahweh, the Yahweh of armies. Another way to translate that would be the warrior Yahweh is fighting for you. And there will be dark moments, but evening will turn to morning. Now, I want to I provide you just a quick word of, of warning here. There's a tendency that we can have today to overlay all the blessings of God over our own, because this is talking about people, countries, against nations, against nations. And we have a tendency sometimes to overlay all the blessings and promises of the Old Testament over our nation and say this is for our people, and it's not. This is, this is specific and particular to the nation of Israel this psalm does not proclaim safety to Christian nations or even majority God-fearing regions. What it is saying is this. O people of God, rest in my refuge. That's all it's saying. Rest in my presence and not in anything else. What it's saying here is that your ability to worship God is not determined by the country you live in. It's determined by your heart's transformation by him. 
Your journey of following Jesus does not depend on your freedom to gather in a church without the threat of persecution. It depends entirely on Jesus and Jesus alone. Nations rage, kingdoms topple, but the earth melts at the sound of God's voice. And so if it, if it bothers you when, when the rights of your religion are removed, it's not that your faith in God is stumbling, it's your faith in your country. And I think sometimes that's good because that is why the story of the Bible so strongly hinges on a kingdom that is not of this world. A kingdom that does not fade or topple. A kingdom that is not led by men, that is not protected by the armies of men, that is not judged by the rule of men. It is a kingdom of God. And so the fear and uncertainty and confusion that, that reigns sometimes in this world and in this nation and in these cities and the political betrayal that we encounter and some of the tribalism that tends to, to get stirred up that we build up, none of that exists in the community of God. None of that exists in the kingdom of God. And so what is our response when we whether as a nation or as a church or as a people, when we are faced with times of trouble? What's the, what's the second action step that Psalm 46 gives us? Selah. Rest. Rest in the fact that your church is not God. Your nation is not God. No nation on the face of the earth for the extent of human history has retained ultimate power for very long. No church led by human leaders is infallible. There will be persecution, there will be trouble, there will be mistakes, there will be failures, there will be hardship. Freedom of democracy is a great thing, but it's a bad savior. A healthy church community is a great and wonderful and encouraging and powerful thing. It makes for a bad savior. Where do you find your rest? When we face those things, again, you can fight, you can flee. And, and in doing so, you're trusting in your own strength uh, or you're doubting everything. Or, third option, you can trust in your God. And you can rest. And you can know that God's got this. That he's fighting for you. That he sees beyond the dark, shadowy valleys. And he sees the safe space for you up ahead. So just slow down. Take a deep breath. And rest. And wait on the Lord. All right. So we started with this macro-level threat of danger and then down to this threat of national danger. And now we're going to move into this micro-level of personal danger. So let's see how those, the, uh, the bald-head sons take us home, right? Sons of Korah, what do you got for us? Verse 8. Come, see the works of Yahweh who brings devastation on the earth. He makes wars cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. 
Stop your fighting and know that I am God, exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. Yahweh of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Now, just a, this, this is just a quick uh, nerd-out moment here, if, if you like those. Uh, Psalm 46, in the King James Version, was written by none other than William Shakespeare. Uh, and so Shakespeare was commissioned to write a number of the Psalms because when the King James Version was originally, was originally produced, the aim for an English translation was to create a high Elizabethan tone type of language that would be as, as high English as they could possibly think of. And so they thought, well, who better to write the poetry section than William Shakespeare? So Shakespeare wrote a number of the Psalms in the King James. And it, it just so happened that when Shakespeare got to the 46th Psalm, it was on his 46th birthday. And so Shakespeare, as legend, legend would have it, says, how can I give myself a little birthday present? So if you have a King James Bible, or go home and take one of them, count from the very top, 46 words, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 46, and guess what words you're going to come up with? The mountains shake. Now go to the very end and count 46 words back. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He cutteth the spear asunder. So Shakespeare actually wrote his own name into the Bible. Kind of interesting, yeah? It's so, it, it just so happened to, to work biblically to where he's also not being heretical. So that's good. But I appreciate that. So I'm saying don't, you don't have to throw away your King James Version just because Shakespeare's name is in there. You can keep that. You can hang on to that. Still really great English. But just sort of an interesting, you can, you, there's no trivia question that will ever come up in, in anything. that will ever. No Jeopardy answer will ever come up with that. But now you have it in your brain forever. So, all right, enough Shakespeare. What's going on in this last stanza? We have one more time of trouble here. Uh, there is this war that is going on throughout the earth. And there are bows and spears and wagons and fighting. And this is a military concept, but it's, it's not just political. It's person against person. It's man to man. And so this, this chaos and destruction of war, it seems almost a, a human inevitability, doesn't it? That war is just going to be a part of our lives. And you hear all the time about how civilization is evolving and, and we humans are the, the pinnacle of, of order and good. And yet, I think it's pretty darn clear that no other created being on this earth has caused more devastation more heartbreak, more death and decay than humans. It is a, a verifiable fact that more than, than any pandemic outbreak, more than any volcano or earthquake or animal, that humans are the ultimate chaos creatures, the ultimate source of trouble in this world. And... and and take that person against person, and now bring it all the way down to the, the personal level. Uh, that, that, that it's not just person against person, but it's sometimes persons against themselves. That we wage war against ourselves. That we commit violence and trouble against ourselves. What would you say is possibly like 
probably the most common response to this question. How are you doing? Now, some of us would say good or fine, but I bet you there's, like, there's something within you that like, you feel like you have to say, I'm busy, right? How are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. Man, I've got so many things going on right now. I've got this, this, and this, and this. And we're like, I didn't actually ask to say how, how busy you are. Like, I just want to know how you are. But, but, but we often, and I do this all the time, they come up and say, how are you doing? Man, I'm busy. I've got lots going on. And we do that because there's something that within us that says you've got to be doing, moving, acting, achieving something. And if you're not, how lazy are you? You're not contributing anything to this world. You mean you're just fine? You just did nothing? What's wrong with you? And even though those, that never is going to be communicated, who, do, who does that communication to us? It's us in our minds. We do this to ourselves, right? And so for us, calm and peace must mean either something's wrong or you're just a lazy bean, right? We crave busyness and adventure. We reach the peak and as soon as we reach the peak, we're anticipating the valley. We, we made it. It's coming down. We'll just get ready. Buckle up, right? And, and as soon as we reach the valley, we're scouring the depths, trying to find the peak once again. We fight ourselves. We promote anxiety and fear, and we invite chaos because there seems to be no other way. Not only do we fight others for control and power and a sense of well-being and security, we fight ourselves equally as much. The psalmist invites us, come and see the works of Yahweh. He takes this dangerous troublemaker, the earth, and he just cleans house. He puts an end to war. Literally, it says he makes war take a Shabbat, a Sabbath rest. He takes all the instruments of violence, all the tools of war, and he obliterates them. And then Yahweh speaks. And it's the first time that the voice of God is heard in the poem. And we hear a little bit earlier that, that when God speaks in, in, uh, in verse 6, the earth melts when he lifts his voice. And now we actually hear God speak. He, he's, we, we understand what's going to happen when he does speak. And now he speaks. And this is the first time. And it's his command to all the armies of the world, all the, the war machine that is human beings, that is you and me. We are that war machine, the perpetuators of violence in this world. And he says to us, he says, stop your fighting. Release your war, and know that I am God, exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. Now, if you've been around the church for a long time, you've probably heard the phrase, be still and know that I am God. And this is where that comes from. Um, other translations like the ESV, the NIV, and King James all, all state it this way. Now, here's the thing. When it says be still, it's not saying be silent. It's, it's not about just, just, just relaxing and just 
hanging out and just about silencing your own voice. It never speaks to that. It's saying, you superpowers of the earth, let go of your grip on what you think you need to be important or powerful or safe and to recognize that God is God and you are not. This is God saying, I'm God, you're not. So stop pushing and pressing and causing trouble and trying desperately to take my place. You are not and can never be the safe space that you desire for yourself. And God says, only I can give you that. Only I can offer you the safe space that you crave. The psalmist ends by saying that warrior Yahweh, the Yahweh of the host of heaven, this, this army, this divine council, he is with us, present, available, here. God is our stronghold, our place of refuge. So what's our final action step? What, what is it that you do when people, friends and family and bosses and enemies, cause you hurt and pain? Do you perpetuate their cycle of violence? Do you continue and do your part to continue the spread of trouble? What if you are the enemy of your own making? How do you break this endless motion of, of trouble and chaos that you create? Your action step is this. Selah. Rest. Only God can end with any sense of finality the times of trouble that are in your world. So you're resting and you're ceasing and you're breaking from the false duality that you must either fight or flee from it. That rest is a countercultural, subversive statement to the world that you are not of the world. That your trust is in someone greater than you. So, if rest is our action step, if ceasing and trusting and waiting and, and just being, dwelling, if that is our action step, what is it going to take to find that safe space that God is offering you? Now, there are going to be instruments of chaos and violence that you hold on to that keep you from finding rest. There's instruments of war that, that cause trouble in our worlds. Is that going to be your cell phone? Or your schedule? Or your, your diet of news media? Is it your physical body? What is it that you keep coming back to in order to say, I can't stop? I have to keep working. I have to keep fighting and keep running, keep talking, keep arguing, keep worrying. And at the end of the day, that, that question, the answer to that question is between you and your God. I cannot answer that question for you. All I can do 
is offer you a safe place. His name is Yahweh. So just come and see how he works. And if you are willing to take that opportunity, that moment to rest, God's presence will be safe for you. It will not be warrior. It will be father. It will not be destroyer. It will be healer. So will you come and rest this morning? Today we're going to, um, we're going to end up our time with communion. We're going to sing a couple of songs to end our, our time together. And, and we're going to take communion as a family. So um, what I would ask is that you, as you are preparing your heart, just be asking that question. Where is, where, what is keeping me from finding rest? What is, what is the thing that is, is putting me in motion all the time? What is, what is the threat that is out there or in here that is preventing me from finding peace, that is keeping me fearful, worried, anxious? Because you are coming here to take communion with one another and communion with God, that you are partnering in his life, death, and resurrection right here. That as you take the bread and the cup, you are saying, Jesus, your body and your blood paid every price, conquered every, every power, set them all, and humbled every single one of them, book of Colossians says. That he disarmed every ruler, every power, every principality, every force of the earth in the death of Jesus. So as you take that, you are aligning yourself with that truth. Do you believe that? Are there things that are holding you back? So my prayer this morning is that, that you would take that time to just reflect on his word, to reflect on that truth, and ask, God, what are the instruments of chaos that need to go? This morning what we're going to do is we have, um, we have uh, plates here in the front and in the back. We have the bread and the cup. What we just encourage you to, we're going to begin, uh, I'm going to invite the worship team up and we're going to begin playing a song uh, and I'm going to pray. And uh, as the song, as that song goes on, uh, we just invite you to, to stand, come and grab uh, one of the elements and return to your seat. If there's someone in your row who you know is going to maybe struggle to stand up and move and, and getting up and down is really hard for them, we just encourage you to serve them this morning. Would you take them, serve them first, come back and get your own. Uh, we have a few, uh, a few people who are also going to be coming around and offering that to you. So if you know um, standing up, getting up and down is going to be hard, either slip your hand up in the air or I'm sure somebody's going to come and serve you. We're a small group today, so we're going to take care of you this morning. Um, Get those elements and then hold on to them. Hold on to them. Worship with us for this song and pray. And then after that song, I'll lead us in, um, I'll lead us through the, the communion together. And then we'll close out with one last song. Sound good? We all got it? Okay. I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll get moving. Father, we just thank you for the safe space that you are. that there is no time of trouble that we can possibly think of 
that somehow is higher or greater or bigger than you. That we know that when it all comes down to it, you are our stronghold. You are our safety. You are our security, our rest. Oh, restless hearts that we have, may we come and find rest in you today. Help us, Lord, when we struggle to believe that. Help us when we are, are surrounded by the enemies that come and invade and threaten our way and our existence and cause despair and, unsure, and, and, and uncertainty in our lives. Would you break those down? Would you invade our space and make it safe? As you speak and the earth melts and fades away, may we find communion with you. And we thank you for that gift. Help us to trust in you. And Father, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.